reached your destination. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Red Hot Chili Prepper. This is episode 17. It will be titled Surrender is Never an Option. I am Suzanne Sherman, and joining me today, as always, is my co-host, producer, and amazing friend, Jeff Johnson. How are you, my friend? Well, I've had an eventful day. I took a tumble, and my knees swollen up like a grapefruit, and, you know, it's just been an interesting day, one thing after another. So I'm here. I'm alive, and that's, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I saw a picture of that knee. So let's uh, hope that gets better quickly. By the way, we're starting uh, to be, as of October 1st, a lot of um, Facebook accounts are going to be going hasta la bye-bye through whether or not they want to. So we set up an account on Float, F-L-O-T-E. That's a new social media app. And you can find me there, Suzanne Sherman. It's uh, at Cowgirl Esquire. Jeff, what's your handle? Oh, mine's really long. Uh, at Anarcho voluntarist so uh we'll start if you want it i'll give it out to you later yeah please put that in the comments for now for now you can still find us on facebook facebook.com forward slash the red hot chili prepper politiprep podcasts and the wasatch report if you have any curiosity whatsoever as to our social um policy political uh points of view. Politiprep Podcast also have has a fan page. And if you can't listen live, it's fun if you do, because then you can weigh in and uh, share some comments. You can also hear the podcast, the recorded version on Anchor FM on their Google uh, Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple. I think the Red Hot Chili Preppers on seven on Apple, uh, including Apple. Please like, share, rate on those apps. That will direct more traffic to us. By the way, you can also support us for as little as 99 cents a month, but feel free to do more if you feel so inclined. Suzanne C. Sherman is my website that has the published articles as well as blogs. Please subscribe to my email list and we will keep you informed as to, I know the Wasatch Report's going to be going away, that page, on uh, October 1st. So uh, keep, keep informed, keep in touch by going on that website. There's also on the homepage a donate button if you want to help support our endeavors there. So let's get rolling with the show. Last episode, we discussed personal security and the new normal of the days of social unrest. And one of the things we talked about, uh, we were mentioning uh, there was a, a, a woman who was unfortunate enough to be caught in a group that came up of Black Lives Matters, Antifa, and they crowded around her and shoved their fists in her face. And she really didn't have many options. And one of the things that we had said, look, if you are an elderly individual or vulnerable for whatever means, they wanted this woman to raise her fist in the air in support of Black Lives Matter. Your number one obligation, not only to yourself, but to your family as well, is to survive. If your life is not in danger, if it's a matter of your ego and getting seriously hurt, I will say this again, and I stand by what I said, raise your fist, survive the situation. I would hate to think that an elderly relative of mine was thrown to the floor. Maybe they have osteoporosis like my poor mom did and had a fractured skull or whatever because they didn't do what a bunch of thugs said, Jeff. Does that does that clarify things a little bit? Yeah. Well, the big the main thing was we weren't advocating surrender. We're advocating becoming the gray men and just melting into the background and becoming uh, getting extricated from the situation. It's not about surrendering. 
And we're going to talk about that today. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, you know, most people, when you go out, you have your friends, you have your family, you might have your children with you, you might have your elderly parents or whatever you have. If, if you're in a situation where you cannot fight at this point, you might just consider, you know, putting your ego to the side and getting yourself out of that situation as quietly and as easily as you can. If that means putting your fist up, become the gray man, just kind of blend into the background and then just exit peacefully and get out of there. There, The main thing is if you're, especially in these situations, you know, you're maybe out, you're going to be, there's going to be a lot more of them than you. So think about that. I mean, I'm the guns blazing type. I want to, you know, you know, take care of the problem, but you know, sometimes you got to take a step back and go the other way. Now, today we're going to talk about something completely different. And that's thanks, Steve. We're going to, this is a show that happened a long time ago and we just, I couldn't find it. So we are going to redo it and you'll, you'll understand very quickly what, where we're going with this. I think it was about 2012 that I first came across this article. I was still in California at the time. Fascinating article. It's called Why Surrender is Never an Option. They start here with four uh, phases of surrender. And the first phase is failing to be armed, trained, and committed to fight. We're prepared to surrender when we are unprepared to resist. Now, for those of you that don't feel comfortable with a firearm, have another plan. Always have a plan where you are. Understand if you're vulnerable. If you're not comfortable with a firearm or in a place where you can't have one for whatever reason, have another means to defend yourself. Have a plan, even if it means blending in and complying if it's a non-life-threatening situation. I'm going to say from here right now, if your life is at all in danger, you do not surrender at all. Some things are worse than death, and we're going to get into that. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, so you said some people are don't want to have a firearm. Uh, carry a pocket knife. Uh, you're gonna you can do some damage. Now, just realize when you're in a situation with that many people, more than likely that knife is not going to be in your possession very long, and then at that point, it could be used against you. Um, another thing you can do, because uh, my mother has some, uh, is pepper spray. Now, pepper spray has its limitations. It 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 is uncomfortable, but I have been. In my job, I have had pepper spray applied to me, and I'm going to tell you right up front, it sucks. It's awful. I've, I've had tear gas applied to me. It sucks. It's awful. But the fact of the matter is we do that because then we can prove that we can fight through it. And if you apply it to somebody, they can fight through it. They, and, and that pepper spray might make them a little bit more angry and more aggressive. Just be aware that uh, it does work. It's painful. But, um, you know, I learned I was fighting out, uh, fighting through it. So, you know, if your life depends on it, you can go through these things and you can uh, continue to fight and move on. So. Thank you. Uh, second phase, surrendering is failing to be alert. Don't we talk about this all the time, Jeff? Situational awareness. You must be able to see trouble coming so you can respond. So the warning may be less than a second, but it will be there. And it must be recognized and acted upon immediately. You know, something that happens when you're in a truly uh, dire situation, and I don't mean just dire that it's life-threatening, but as a former <laughs> equestrian who did three-day eventing, I've had many crashes on horses while jumping. 
And it's amazing how time slows down as you're on your way, your departure from the saddle to meet the ground. Uh, all the thoughts and possibilities go through your head. And the same thing happens when you're in a threatening situation. I'm going to share something, a personal experience with that you about with you uh, later on. So number, yeah. th go ahead. Yeah. So number two, we talk about uh, situational awareness. Now we'll go back to this, this video that we were talking about in the last show. So she's sitting there, had somebody, anybody in that restaurant been situationally aware, perhaps someone had to kind of lock the door at the very beginning and kept the people out. But obviously there was a whole room full of people, full of people that were not situationally aware. And those people ended up in the restaurant creating a situation where, quite honestly, we already we said last week that these people already committed the crime of assault. They just didn't crit, uh, commit the crime of battery at that point. I Had have a hard time battery. thinking this woman wasn't touched. Did you also see that video of these people dining out with a baby in a high chair? And a man hopped over the fence and attacked and tried to grab and steal that baby. And the yes. first thing I thought was the two women that were with this child, both of them had their backs to the street. One thing when you're with more than one person, first of all, if you're, if you're in a situation like that, never have your back just to the street so you can't see what's going on. And if there are two of you, one can face the restaurant and keep you know an eye on the people inside. The other can keep track of the people on the street. And like you said, Jeff, when we talked about the people that were in that diner and that woman that was outside, um, they should have been able to hear the commotion and the people coming down the street. You will have some time to respond. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, you know, they could have heard it had they acted upon it. Obviously they didn't see the threat. They underestimated what they were facing. And you remember, uh, we discussed that as far as uh, mother nature, people always underestimate the danger from things whether it's a hurricane or a tornado or a fire or whatever it is, people always underestimate the danger or overestimate their abilities. So, and again, in this situation, operational and personal security, you need to be aware of what's going on and understand your limitations. So in this case, we're going to go back and I'm going to say that I have my elderly mother with me out to dinner and this happens. If I'm not aware of this, now I'm putting her at danger as well. So it's very important that you're aware of your surrounding, what's going on. You're hearing what's going on. And sometimes that's hard, but you got to work at doing that. Phase three, surrender is giving up your weapons. Jeff, if you're in a precarious situation and somebody says they're going to kill you or hurt your mom, unless you hand over your gun, what do you do? I'm handing them over in one bullet at a time. <laughs> in, they're they're going to catch a bunch of bullets. They may get my firearm and I may die, but I'm going to go out. And I'm going to take as many of those people with me. Once it becomes an obvious threat to life and safety, um, there's it's all bets off. I, I'm not I'm not holding back until I've eliminated the threats. You know, and this was the thing too with Kyle Rittenhouse. He did manage to keep control of his gun, but only because he shot the person that was trying to take it. And one of the things I've been saying, and I think we discussed this as well, Jeff, was if you're going to take a long gun out in an area where you know there's going to be some conflict and contention and possibly contact, you better know how to retain your weapon because sometimes lethal force might not be justified. And we see that he's facing some uh, murder charges and, and assorted yeah. other felonies. Go ahead. Can I go? 
a few years, it's, a, it's been a number of years now, uh, I was at the Sportsman Show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. It's one of the biggest Sportsman Show in the United States. Uh, it's a one-week event, and I was, at, I was working a booth uh, for an organization, and I'm not going to bring the organization into it today. But there was, uh, it's open carry is permitted in Pennsylvania. Guy was open carrying, and I was standing there speaking with him, and I, I know he's open carrying, so I look to see what he's carrying, and I go, uh, excuse me, sir, the retention on your firearm is open, and your gun is not secured, and he goes, oh, I carry it that way. That way I can get it out quicker, I, and I was like, okay, folks, if you carry a firearm with retention that's open, you're going to lose that firearm at, when you don't want to lose it. So keep, use your retention. It's there for a reason. And I mine, I have retention holsters, and I use them every time because I don't want someone getting my firearm. And here's the thing. If that guy had practice with his holster, obviously he's never practiced with his holster. Get out on the range and don't have it loaded. Just stand there, um, unholster it, press out into a shooting stance, then holster it. And so close your bill. Just keep doing that hundreds of times. Get to the point where it's second nature to, re to release that firearm, or you're going to either lose it, or you're not going to get it out in a timely manner, and you're going to pay the consequences for not being able to draw your firearm. So imagine, imagine how much better things can go for you too if you have that muscle memory in effect, where you know how to get on target, get on site immediately. We'll be right back after this message about Anchor FM. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And you know what? It's free. And they have creation tools that will allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, and many more. And the best thing is, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The last phase, and this is what's really critical here, the last phase of surrender, this is the point where you are no longer in a power to make any decisions for yourself. This is up to the monsters who have taken control of your life and perhaps the lives of your loved ones. The last phase of surrender, Larry says, and Stacy, is out of your hands. And we're going to talk about some situations like that, particularly that one in Connecticut, if anybody remembers that. But before we get into some of those specific examples, he gets into some situations where surrender really worked out poorly and why. And I'm going to go through some examples so that he gives <clears throat> of surrender during war. Excuse me. He talks about first that during the American Revolution, there were 12,000 colonists captured by the British. These people died in captivity on the prison ships, while only 8,000 died in battle. Had these 12,000 surrendered and continued to fight, many would have survived and they could have done great damage to the British and likely shortened the war. Civil War prisoners were treated so badly, 50,000 died in captivity. Most Americans or more Americans have been killed by Americans than any foreign army in any war. Here it says 618,000. We know now uh, since a revised census um, estimates show that over 800 and I believe 50,000 Americans died in the Civil War. 
18,000 captured Americans in Philippine and Filipino prisoners died or were murdered at the hands of the Japanese during the six days. We all know about the Bataan Death March. Had most of these soldiers went, slipped into the jungle and fought as guerrillas, they could have tied up elements of the Japanese army for months or years, and perhaps more of them would have survived the war. Isn't, isn't that what we say, Jeff, survived to fight another day? Exactly. So, again, we're not... We don't advocate surrendering and in any way, shape, or form. If violence is going to be done to you, you have the obligation to defend yourself and your family. It's not, an, it's not just an option. It is an obligation. You have the obligation to keep your family alive. That's you know, and this is end I, of I story. love Colonel Cooper's quote. You know, the only honorable response to violence is an overwhelming show of counterviolence. Continuing on with the, the Americans who actually reached the Japanese prison camps, nearly 50,000 died in captivity. That is more than 10%, he says, of all the American military deaths in the entire war, both in the Pacific and European theaters combined. In addition to the 50,000 captured who died in Japanese prison camps, an additional 20,000 were murdered before reaching prison camp. Isn't, isn't government great? If those 70,000 Americans had continued to fight, they could have provided time for the United States to build and maneuver its forces, perhaps shortening the war and saving even more lives. Some of them would have likely survived the war if they had died in battle. That would have been a face no, no worse, a faith no worse, I should say. I'm sorry, fate, beg your pardon. So during the early stages of Battle of the Bulge in the European theater now, the American soldiers were massacred by the German troops who captured them. Vietnam conflict, uh, many American prisoners of war were tortured daily for years by the communist North Vietnamese. Many Americans died during the process. Only officers, airmen held in North Vietnam were ever repatriated. Enlisted Americans captured in South Vietnam were routinely tortured, mutilated and murdered by the communists as a combat soldier knowing my fate, should I be captured? And I was committed to fighting to the death. He, he would say I would be fighting to the death. I made specific plans to force the enemy to kill me rather than allow myself to be captured. So please, if you're gonna say, hey, you know, who are these people to talk about what these American soldiers should have done? Larry Mudgett, the author of this article was one of them and he was in Vietnam. So, and he also talks about the American troops that have been captured by uh, the Islamic terrorists. have all been virtually, uh, virtually all have been tor tortured and murdered in gruesome fashion. He also says that if he was fighting in the Middle East, he would make a similar vow uh, and plan to fight to the death under no circumstances would he allow himself to be captured by these people. Remember in the Indian Wars, Jeff, I think even at the Battle of uh, Little Bighorn, uh, they would, there was talk, you know, among the cavalry, cavalry, the fighters would say, save a bullet for yourself because you do not want to be subject to uh, what would happen to you if you were captured. In the military world, most times the, the soldiers were better off not being captured uh, certainly history is, uh, uh, offers that lesson, uh, war after war, whether the re through the revolution, through world war two. So, you know, it, and, uh, even the, in, in the Korean war, there was a lot of them that ended up dying in captivity. So, you know, surrender wasn't an option militarily and surrender is not an option to us when we're faced with violence, uh, coming from the streets and, and, and violence is every day in the streets right now. So, you know, it's, you better be prepared so that you know how to respond, but you know, don't. Here's some more uh, relevant surrender. 
about death by government. So this is taking us out of the, um, you know, the spectrum of, of just warfare. But R.J. Rommel uh, wrote a book called Death by Government. He states that prior to the 20th century, 170 million civilians were murdered by their own governments. Uh, and then also uh, during the 20th century, perhaps as many as 200 million civilians were murdered by their own governments. Some of the nations where the mass murders of civilians occurred in the 20th century include Russia, Ukraine, Germany, Poland, Czechoslovakia, the Congo, Uganda, Armenia, Vietnam, Cambodia, Nigeria, Laos, China, Cuba, Manchuria, Iraq, Iran, Biafra. You get the point. You get my point. Government is very dangerous. The slaughter of civilians by governments appears to be as common. Uh, so many of these Many of these is uh, these slaughters were only made possible by disarming the victims before killing them. He gives a, you know, resistance is much more difficult when uh, the government has already uh, resisted, you know, when the government has taken away the means of resistance. I saw an interview, Jeff, um, of some people that experienced life in Nazi Germany, and the interviewer said, how come, how come you didn't fight back? And she said, they took all our guns. What could we do at this point? Learn from history. I'm absolutely, you know, you have, you can't help but question those that want to take the way, those in government that want to take the guns away from uh, the, the citizens. And, and, you know, we have history to learn from. And that's probably one of the reasons that progressives like to erase history as much as, as much as they can. You know, and, and what he talks about here too is have the Jews in Germany resisted, the outcome may have been the same, but the world would have learned about the Holocaust years earlier and may have intervened. So most people would prefer to die fighting and trying to kill their oppressor than be taken to a death camp and starved to death or murdered in a gas chamber. I know what category I fall in. In fact, when my uh, son was 12, Greg, you saw us there in Washington, D.C. I took him to Washington, D.C. and I took him to the Holocaust Museum. And they have a diorama. If you've ever been there, it's probably, I don't know, maybe 10 feet by 10 feet square. And it shows the, the train tracks, the box cars, the train parked there. And then all the people, the mothers holding their babies all lined up for their showers. I told my son, just so you know, that will never, ever be us. We lived in California at the time and a little, we had a gate around our house. I said, the fight ends for me inside these gates. I will never, ever be taken to uh, anything like that. People should learn and, and understand that that would never work well for them. Thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, because a lot of people today are asking, well, how in the world did Ger the Germans get all these people just to peacefully walk onto these cars? Well, let, just look around at all your friends and neighbors that are uh, putting a mask on, uh, willing to take that uh, vaccine when it's forced upon them. The, it's the same thing, the, the same mentality. Oh, it's 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 just it all just started out as that little yellow star on their jackets. And that in it's just started out as that little mask on your face. We see the same thing today. People are so willing to just accept what government says and not resist the tyranny. So, you know, you know, I we're seeing it, we... we're seeing it live now. So there one of go. the reasons people don't like you know, individuals like us, Jeff, is we we notice this incrementalism, as do the people that are watching this show and, and follow us. The, a lot of the people are just blind to this. They're blindly trusting their government. They don't see this great reset and what's actually planned for us. 
I think we look farther out into the future. Well, it's just, you know, just two, two weeks to flatten the curve. Well, just wear your masks. Well, you know, Herr Fauci has said now you're not going to be allowed to go back to the movies until a year after the vaccination is distributed. Uh, President Trump today is saying that the military is going to aid in the distribution of the vaccine available to those who are interested in taking it. Well, what if you're not? We'll be right back to the discussion right after this about Roxanne, the music provider for the Wasatch Report. Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. So let me continue on with this a little bit. So, um, surrendering to criminals. And this is the part that uh, really stood out. I'm going to share a story that they get into in this article. I think what really convinced me was um, to become armed because it wasn't until it wasn't until actually 2010 that I became a firearms owner. And I watched uh, with, with horror about the family remembering Connecticut where it was a father, the wife, and two beautiful young girls. And actually they talk about, they talk about it here, um, where they complied. There was, uh, it was a doctor and his family. They complied. There were two home invaders. They met every demand of the home invasion robbers to whom they surrendered. Even the mother and one of the daughters went into a vehicle, went to the ATM and came back. It turned out, if I remember correctly, the gun was either not a real gun, it was a BB gun, it was something other than the lethal weapon they assumed it was. How did it work out for them? They did everything they were supposed to. Well, the doctor's wife and the daughters were tortured, raped, and doused with gasoline and burned alive. This didn't work out for them. So uh, imagine being the survivor for that and imagine you know, questioning yourself as a man why he did nothing, why he was incapable of defending his family, why he told his family to comply. And uh, it did not work out well for them. Uh, we also talked about a story. Well, the, the first one he talks about in this is the Onionfield murder. I think you're familiar with that one, Jeff. This was, uh, even though this was in 1963, this was a very famous story that came out of California where two LAPD officers were taken prisoner and the officers submitted to capture and they gave up their weapons. What did we say earlier? Don't do that. They were driven out to an onion field outside of Bakersfield and one officer was murdered while the other managed to escape in a hail of gunfire. The surviving officer suffered a serious psychological case having been unable to save his partner. And uh, as a result of this incident, the LAPD policy became, you will fight no matter how bad things are, also, you will never surrender your weapons or yourself to a criminal. We also talked about a case on the, uh, and the, it's mentioned here, there was a record store in Utah. I believe there were two teenagers running this record store. Seems like a nice, safe job, you know, if you're a teenager and a uh, way to earn a little bit of extra money. There's a book about this store, if you don't, about this story, if you're not aware of it, and maybe we can find that link. 
But the manner in which the criminals murdered the young victim, he said he can't describe it here, but I'll share with you what he described. Resistance might be futile, but compliance was definitely and absolutely futile. I don't know, Jeff, were you listening to that show when we did that on the um, on the other on the other network when I had Larry on? If you didn't, here's what happened. And he didn't want to talk about it. And I, I'll never forget this. Um, before they left, these kids were tied up and they were told to drink this blue liquid. It's a medicine and we know you're stressed and uh, this, will, this will just put you to sleep and then we'll be gone. That liquid was, was liquid drain cleaner, like Drano. And uh, uh, it's hard, I'm not gonna repeat it all, but just to hear how, as soon as they drank that fluid, what these people, what these teenagers, you know, younger than my kids went through and how they died was horrific. If somebody told me to drink that, I would not trust these people. What makes you think after tying you up and robbing the store that they're going to be kind and help you relax? Jeff, would you have taken, you know, these are teenagers, but what would you tell somebody? Uh, don't, uh, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't yeah. trust them. Again, fight. I don't I mean they should have fought from the beginning when they were untied that's or you know if they can't fight flee I mean most time that cop fled that scene under a hail of bullets in the fact in the fact of the matter is a lot of these people aren't very good shots then they talked about also uh John Lott and he talks about the relationship between gun and guns and crimes John Lott's very uh well known with his regards to um, discussions on firearms and self-defense and firearms laws as well. He has a book called More Guns, Less Crime. And again, um, another home invasion robbery here, uh, a kindly couple, they had nine adopted special needs children surrendered to robbers. The victims opened their safe. They did not resist in any way. When the robbers were finished ransacking the, ransacking the home and terrifying the children, they shot both the parents in the head several times before leaving. Surrender didn't work out to them either. So handing over your life by surrendering to someone who's in the process of committing a violent crime against you is a form of suicide. Some survive, some may not. The monster gets to decide for you. I want to decide. I never, ever want to hand over that decision to somebody who's already proven themselves untrustworthy at best, dangerous at worst. Uh, he talks about brutalizing victim, brutalized victims who say the robber said he wouldn't hurt us if we cooperated. And, and, you know, Larry says here, why would you believe anything someone who's committing a crime against you says? He will be lying if he speaks. And as we say in law enforcement, uh, if a criminal's lips are moving while he is speaking, he is lying. Criminals, by definition, are dishonest and should never be trusted or believed. I think I've shared this story before, too. Um, I was in Park City chatting with some gals, and they were discussing an armed robbery and how um, uh, her friend's brother was taken in a vehicle, and they were driving around, and she's trying to follow, their, you know, the family's trying to follow him and get the police and rescue him from this car. And I just said, why do you get in the car with these people, you know, robbing a bank, armed robbery? And she looked at me like I was crazy. Well, I, I am, I guess, a little bit. But she looked at me like I was crazy and, and she couldn't believe what she's heard. And she said, he had a gun. He had guns. 
I said, that's all the more reason not to comply. So let's break this down a little bit, Jeff. You know, if somebody has a firearm, most of these people are carrying a sidearm, not very good aim. And so let's let's assume they're trying to get you to go into a car. You're in a public place. They either have a gun or they have a knife. What's what do you think is the odds that they're going to hit you are going to be? They're probably going to be missing you. You know, what he says here, we have a duty to resist. This duty is to ourselves, to our loved ones, our neighbors, our community, our city, our state, our country. Here's the thing. I'm paraphrasing Colonel Cooper again, is the criminal doesn't fear the police. He doesn't fear the jury. He doesn't fear the court system. If society is ever going to be safe, he needs to fear his intended victim. That's us. If the criminals know there are enough of us that are prepared to fight to the death, if need be, I guarantee crime would go down. I was remember uh, Todd Beamer, let's roll. And the flight landed in your state, Pennsylvania, right, Jeff? Yes. Imagine if a plane full, you know, as much as possible of uh, people capable of fighting immediately responded to the situation once they realized what happened without getting together in the back and plotting. But if everybody had this mindset to fight, to resist, be decisive, surprise them and be relentless and show no mercy, a plane full of people like that probably wouldn't need the TSA, would we? So there's your motivation for that. Thoughts? We'll be right back after this message about Anchor FM. I just was uh, looking for the uh, the article on it. I just wanted to um, bring up that, you know, even if you are shot, most people, a lot of people will actually survive being shot. I mean, there are people that die from it. I mean, it's it happens. But you look at these two deputies that were just shot just recently, the female and the male officer. Um, again. People out there may like or dislike police. I'm not going to, we're not going to discuss that today. But the fact of the matter is they were both shot. They both fought and they both survived. They both ended up getting away and surviving. Why? Because they fought. They didn't surrender. Had they surrendered, uh, I think the outcome would have been pretty well sure that they weren't going to survive it. So, you know, if you're going to, you have to go into the mindset that you're going to, you're not going to surrender. You're going to, you're going to do everything you can to survive and you're going to have to leave it to whether you believe it's fate or you believe it's destiny from God, whatever, whatever you call it, you're just going to leave it to that. And you're going to have to just put everything on the line and defend yourself and your family and other people before, uh, they kill other people. So, you know, it's, you got to make this decision. You have to go in there with the mindset that you're never surrendering. Yeah. And like these kids allowed themselves to be tied up. If you're in a, if you're in a crowded place or, you know, any, any place and somebody says, get in the car, I have a knife or I have a gun, you know, just make a huge stink fight, run away. The gun might not be even real as was the case with this family in Connecticut. The gun might not even be loaded or the person hold the perpetrator might not even be a very good shot. Even if you are running away, they might not know how to operate the gun. Resist, run away, 
try to knock the gun out. If you don't know how to take a firearm away from somebody, just try and knock it so it's not pointing towards you and run. The Statistically, if you run and they shoot, he will miss. Statistically, if you run and he shoots and hits you, you will not die. Bad guys shooting at the police miss 90% of the time. The odds here are on your side. And it is better to die fighting in place than to be tied up, doused with gasoline, and burned alive or tied up and forced to drink drain cleaner. Some yeah. things are worse than death, he says, and I absolutely agree. Yeah. So Greg says you can survive. Adrenaline kicks in and you continue to fight. That's true. Uh, we discussed, I believe, in a show recently about a lady that was, I think, in Chicago with a child in the street who was uh, shooting in the street. She was hit, but she picked up the child, got over behind a car, and got undercover behind a wheel, and the child lived. She ended up dying behind that car, but the adrenaline kept her long enough to get the child out of the line of fire, behind cover, and save the child's life. So, yes, you know, in this case... She did succumb to her wounds, but you're right, Greg, that the adrenaline will get you through for a while until perhaps you can get to safety or get others to safety. So don't run. I mean, don't uh, surrender. Uh, I mean, you may have to do a tactical retreat, uh, you know, but you don't surrender. I'd rather take take my chances in a parking lot. Um, then be driven away into a remote area, wooded area where there's nobody around that could help me at all. So I would never, ever allow that, allow that to happen to me. He also talks about some people who have refused to surrender. I'm going to just give a couple examples. Uh, the first one that really comes to mind for me is, is General Santa Ana. And he was also the president of Mexico at the time. He ordered 180 Texicans to surrender the Alamo Colonel Travis answered with a cannon shot and a rebel yell. Eventually, General Santa Ana was able to build his troop strength to 10,000. They swarmed the defenders and killed them all. Did they all die? Yes. Did they surrender? No. But here's the benefit to their, their bravery here. The Battle of the Alamo delayed the Mexican army long enough for Sam Houston to build his Texican army, which met and defeated the Mexican army and captured General Santa Ana. He traded Texas for his life and the sacrifices of the Alamo defenders changed history. There's some other examples here too uh, from World War II that are also really interesting. We're gonna, if we haven't already, we'll put the article in the links. Uh, also going back to the Jews in the Warsaw ghetto in, in Poland, uh, most of them surrendered to the German army. They were taken off to death camps, murdered. Between 400 and 1,000 of the Jews refused to surrender and armed with only a few pistols, revolvers, and rifles. They held off the German army for three months before dying in battle. Also, the 101st Airborne in the Battle of the Bu uh, Bulge uh, was surrounded by the German army and ordered to surrender. I think we all know that uh, faced with uh, overwhelming odds, the commanding army replied to the response to surrender, nuts. The Americans refused to surrender and stopped the Germans' advance. Uh, so most of the American troops survived. September 2nd, 2011, 40 armed criminals took over and robbed a train in India. Some of the robbers had guns, others used knives and clubs. When they began to disrobe an 18-year-old girl for the purpose of gang raping her, 
One of the passengers decided to fight. He was a 35-year-old retired Gurkha soldier. He drew his knife and attacked the 40 robbers. One guy, he killed uh, He killed three and wounded eight more despite being wounded uh, in this 20-minute fight. The remaining criminals fled for their lives, leaving their stolen loot and, L and uh, 11 comrades dead or wounded on the floor of the train. So, you know, sometimes you can uh, overcome what seems to be insurmountable odds. How do you summon the courage to fight such odds? This man on the train utilized the principles of, oh, look at this. I didn't, I forgot he even wrote this. The principles of personal defense, alertness, decisiveness, aggressiveness, speed, coolness, ruthlessness, mentioned that earlier, and surprise. Most of the time, these criminals are not going to expect you to fight and to resist and to struggle. They're going to expect you to comply. Don't do it. He was skilled in the use of his weapons and he refused to be a victim and allow evil to triumph. I'm going to share a personal story. <clears throat> and I've never shared this publicly, not even my family. And um, I shared it once, Jeff, I think you were aware I was on a on a podcast that had members only. So it was never, ever really released out to a greater amount of people. But I grew up in a very safe, small community in uh, Los Altos, California, very little crime there. And uh, I ended up going to UCLA. And again, I'm just going to wrap up this show. And I went from this small community to living in Los Angeles, where you can imagine um, the society was really different there. I eventually moved out of Westwood and ended up in West Hollywood, which was even then a farther cry from the relative safely of Westwood, California. And I lived in this apartment and there was a gentleman that I saw there several times. We'd say hello in the hallways and everything. And uh, one night he, you know, I ran into the hallway and we decided to just have a drink and hang out and watch some TV at my place. And I was going to go and, um, go out with some friends. So he said, well, no worries when uh, you're getting ready, I'll, I'll wait for you and I'll walk you. I'll walk you to the club and keep you safe. So get you to your friends, no problem. So I come out of my bedroom with getting my jacket and it was February. So I was wearing um, leather gloves and it was warm enough though also so I could have my screen door open and that's gonna make sense later. So coming out of my bedroom on the side of the apartment, there was a main living area there's a bedroom and then a bathroom vanity area. Well, when I came out of the bedroom area, <clears throat> apparently he had gone into the bathroom area. And as I walked out and my back was towards him, expecting to find him waiting for me at the door and taking me, he had gone in and came from behind me at the bathroom. Next thing I know, my hair is pulled back and I've got a knife at my throat. I'll never forget that feeling. What do I do now? And I looked back over my shoulder. He was 6'4". And I just saw this eye looking right into my eye. And until this day, every time I see a great white shark, it reminds me of him because it's just this black, soulless eye. And he told me, take off your drawers and go into the bedroom. And I thought, well, what are my options here? And earlier I mentioned that when situations get dire, time really slows down. So my first option was, well, comply, uh, get it over with and don't have him kill you, you know, or he might if you if you fight him. And I dismissed that option before it even came out. So it was probably <clears throat> in my in my head and it was probably, you know, less than a half a second that I considered that. And uh, 
And also this was right when AIDS was coming out. So what could have just been, and I don't mean to diminish a sexual offense, but what could have been only a sexual assault could have been a life sentence had I contracted that deadly disease. So anyway, um, I ended up, I recognized the knife. He had taken it from my kitchen. It was a very dull serrated bread knife. And I grabbed it with my glove and the thing actually broke into three pieces in my hand. And at that point I ran to get away from him and, and I could hear my hair being pulled out from the roots. And I had a bald spot about the size of a, of a half dollar or silver dollar. And I tried my, I ran to the phone cause I knew the door was locked and I wouldn't have a chance. I thought if I can just get quickly 911, even if he takes it away from me, at least help is coming. He got to me right there and then pulled the phone out of the wall <clears throat> and then put me in a chokehold. Well, so that plan didn't fail, but I'm still thinking, 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 thinking. So I managed to get a good breath before he cut off my oxygen and I held it for a good while. And then I kind of let myself go limp and uh, let him think that I was passing out. And as soon as he loosened it, I sunk my teeth into his arm and held on as hard as I could. And at that point, he threw me across the room and I'm looking now what else, what other options do I have? Scanning, scanning, scanning. What other options? What do I have here? I lived on the second floor and my place was right over the entryway to the building. So I'm right. I'm literally probably 20 feet away from the sidewalk, you know, my, my balcony in that window. So I started, um, I knew I couldn't reason with him, but I could send out a signal to people on the street. And this was West Hollywood. There was always somebody out and about. And I started screaming, you're hurting me, you're hurting me. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you hurting? Obviously, this wasn't to reason with him. Again, this was to get other people uh, to, to um, get their attention. So that was my ally, was the open window. Fortunately, that window was open. So we start going at it. He comes after me again. We're going on a, we're just going at it now. I'm just like, what now? I'm, I'm, I'm getting exhausted. What am I going to do? I saw my wine glass on the table. So I took it, smacked it on the coffee table. The coffee table already been flipped over as all the furniture. And as he came to get down on top of me, I shoved it right in his eyes. And at that point, he just got up and walked out of the room. And I just saw one last look at me as he walked out the door and closed it behind him. And the police were right there and grabbed him as soon as he uh, got out, as soon as he went out the front door to the street. So, you know, was I stupid to have, a, a, you know, hang out with somebody that I'd only seen in the hallways? Absolutely. Again, uh, I was, you know, from small town living to the big city. And the, the point of it was the fact that I had zero training, zero skills. I got myself into this situation and I decided before he even, you know, pulled my hair out that I was not going to let him do what he wanted to do. Interestingly enough, I was measuring my responses so that I wouldn't hurt him so badly he would lose his temper and beat me senseless and then do what he wanted to do. So it was kind of buying time and getting it done. And the, what happened to him, I got a call that he was released without bail. And ultimately, I think they dropped the charges because uh, of, this was a kind of a crazy neighborhood. And there was this guy that was kind of a homeless guy that was running around this young kid who's about 17, 18. And he said, hey, Suzanne, why'd you attack that guy? I said, what guy are you talking about? He was in jail. I'd been arrested too. And we were sitting there talking. 
and he just had blood all over him and he was all beat up and he said you attacked him i said no i was defending myself but because he was in such bad shape six foot four uh and he said that i was the aggressor they figured they couldn't prove the case i don't think they would let it go so quickly in today's society but i'll tell you right now i'm pleased with that outcome uh i would rather have him uh you know spend no time in jail with me not rather than him going to jail with evidence they could have collected from a rape kit so i i learned a lesson. I, and it's one of the reasons I like to share, you know, these stories with you. And that's, again, first time here, folks. So that's, that's why I'm so passionate about this. Go ahead, Jeff. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I, and I hope that we, clar- TD, I hope we clarified this to you, uh, for you, because, you know, the, the fact of the matter is we are not a surrendered crowd. We are, uh, you do what you have to do to survive and face the con- consequences afterwards. But there are times when fighting may not be your best option and, you know, kind of fading into the background. It may be the better option. But once violence has started, you have to go back with overwhelming violence to survive. Don't give in. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. Well, I hope um, you appreciated me sharing that story with you. And uh, I promise the next episodes of Red Hot Chili Prepper are going to be a little bit more uplifting and back onto the food preparedness and stuff that we like about that, because that's really that's really what we like as well. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Jeff Johnson, I'm Suzanne Sherman. Thanks for joining us today.